Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode, everybody. Happy to be with you today, wherever you are in the world. I had a fun experience I thought I'd just share a little bit about. Please do. I had not been in touch with a friend of mine from high school since the late 80s. And I heard he was coming to town, and I reached out, and we got together. And he lives in Nashville. Mm -hmm. He's a musician. And we were just catching up on each other's lives. You got to meet him for the first time. That was awesome. His name is Dave Speck. You heard lots of stories about I him. I have. He's a very familiar name. But now he's a person. Now he's <laughs> now you know him. Yep. Now you've met him. And uh, he was catching up on my life after 35 years almost. And I was catching up on his life after all that time. And it was really special, really fun to, to reconnect. And uh, I knew he was a drummer and was making something of a name for himself in the Nashville music scene, but I had no idea where he had actually gone and what he had done. He was Blake Shelton. If you're into the country music scene, you'll know who Blake Shelton is. Mm -hmm. He was Blake Shelton's original drummer and toured all over the, I think all over the world with him. Uh, And then very interestingly, it just so happened the very week I reached out to him Mm -hmm. that the next week, I was going to be in Nashville doing a Made for More event, which we did just last week. And he came out to my event, and it was really, really fun for me to share with him the work that I do and for him to share the work that he does. And he gave me a little tour through Nashville and the music scene and all the places he had played. And, yeah, it was really fun. That is. It's a it's a beautiful thing. I, I really... Um, can appreciate just the joy that it brings to see old friends and just it's kind of like a a food for our hearts we kind of need those times yeah and it's a reminder that all those memories are not just way back there like this is a real you've heard all the stories you know about Dave Spack uh, and our antics in high school but He's a, as you said, now he's a person. He's a real person. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, it was like, yeah, yeah, that was a real time in my life. And it, it causes you just to get a, gain a new perspective on your own span of years and what people mean to you. And yeah. So if there's anybody out there that you're thinking, maybe I should look him up or maybe I should look her up, uh, maybe you should. Yeah. You have any announcements from the TOB Institute for us? Yes, we have. I shared this on the last episode, but I'll share it again. At the start of Advent this year, which is very close, we are offering the Mary course online, which would be a beautiful immersion into the mystery of Christmas for you in preparation for this glorious feast of the Incarnation, the birth of the Lord. So check that out. We also have, I want to remind our listeners about our pilgrimage that you and I are going on together next year, Wendy. Do you want to say something about it? Uh, Sure. So we're going um, to France in the fall of 2023, and we'll be um, taking a riverboat cruise through France. And our focus in the cruise is on the life of St. Therese, the little flower. There's also a, a 
pre-tour of Lourdes, so you can go to Lourdes um, with us and then on that riverboat cruise. And I have never gone on a pilgrimage before with the TUB Institute, so it's very exciting for me to get to go. Very exciting for me to have you along. And we already have people signing up, oh, and yeah, that's the exciting. Rooms, there, there are a limited number of cabins on this uh, yeah. cruise boat, and they're already filling up. So if yeah. you're interested, check it out. Check it out. It's all in the show notes. Okay. Okay. So Moving here's right along. a question from a patron. Moving right along. Do, 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 Named do, Juan. Do, 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 Juan do, says. Didn't we had a Juan last yeah, time? We did. It's true. He was our patron last time. This is a different Juan. It is. All right. Which Juan is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's episode 201 Juan. All right. Okay. Juan says, I feel like the topic of nocturnal emissions continues to be a mystery in the world of men. The only thing I've ever heard about them is that they're not sinful. And that's it. <laughs> I know God designed everything with a profound and intentional purpose. And if that is the case, then nocturnal emissions must also have a profound meaning through the TOB lens. As I ponder this, a certain parallel came to mind, and I felt compelled to ask you the following question. Is there any correlation between nocturnal emissions and the slumber that God placed Adam into in order to create Eve? Well, well, I have never connected those dots before. That's very, very interesting. Um, I would have to give that some more thought, Juan. Uh let me say this one. I agree with you. In all of my reading, and I've done a heck of a lot of it on Catholic sexual ethics, it's about all you get when it comes to nocturnal emissions. And if there are some listeners who don't know what a nocturnal emission is, it means a man in his sleep ends up ejaculating. Uh, there is no moral fault here because he's asleep. He's not willing it. And for there to be any kind of moral fault, one has to will it. So we can look here at the very specific difference between an act of masturbation and a nocturnal emission. Both have the same end result, which is ejaculation outside the context of marital intercourse, which should never be willfully pursued. Hence, masturbation is a disorder and, and is immoral because one is willfully pursuing it, whereas a nocturnal emission, an ejaculation that happens in your sleep, uh, one is not willing this. There's no moral fault. So Juan, I agree with you. There's not been a lot written about it. Things I have heard said about it kind of take you in one of two directions, um, maybe two extremes to avoid. Um, I don't think we should be encouraging these things in terms of, hmm, as I'm drifting off to sleep, kind of fostering a, a sexual dream life. What could I fantasize about tonight while I'm asleep? Because, hey, it's like a free orgasm. There's no moral fault to it. So I'm going to kind of even prep myself and get ready for it and get excited about it. Uh, I even heard one time someone say, yeah, just enjoy the ride. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of like a freebie. That That isn't something I would encourage. On the other hand, I, I know those who have been overly distressed by them, and I'll even throw myself into that lot. Um, 
in times in my life when I've experienced this, I have been overly concerned about it and overly distraught, like uh, a kind of exaggerated moralism that says my seed only belongs in my wife's womb and you know, it doesn't happen that way in a nocturnal emission, and so I would be overly distraught about it. And my spiritual director has tried to kind of back me off of that ledge as mm. well to be okay with the fact that sometimes this happens, especially if there's a time of extended abstinence in married life. It's a normal way of your body, which produces a lot of sperm, like by the gamillions, mm -hmm. right? And seminal fluid as well is is produced with that's the the fluid that carries the seed, the, the sperm. Um, and your body needs a natural way to release that. And by the way, I'll throw this out as a counter to those who say, well, you need to masturbate because your body's always producing the sperm. Your body will take care of it through nocturnal emissions without any need to masturbate. So I'm just throwing that out as a rebuttal to those people who say you need to masturbate in order to relieve yourself of all that buildup. Your body can do that without you doing it uh, willfully. Mm. Uh, so I just want to throw that out there. As far as that connection between the deep sleep, again, Juan, I would have to give that a little bit more thought and reflection, but I'm going to say I think you might be on to something. There's something, we could certainly say this, there's something spousal about that deep sleep. Saint after saint has compared the deep sleep that Adam experienced, and Adam in his sleep has his side opened, and Eve is birthed, so to speak. Well, guess what? There's a parallel. This is what the saints draw out. On the cross, the new Adam goes into a, quote, deep sleep, the sleep of death, his side is opened, and we experience through that our own rebirth, the birth of the church, the new Eve. So there's something spousal. There's a spousal mystery revealed in deep sleep. Uh, ejaculation, obviously, is something spousal in God's plan. So I'll just say maybe there's some connection there. I mm. haven't given it any thought, but I'll put that in the maybe category. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and one other man who, you know, I was in a conversation with you with have commented about kind of just a a pain in in the heart about yeah. this reality. It's just it's not comfortable. It's not sure desirable. So it's those two people that I am aware of and I um so I don't want our listeners to think I go around asking them about their experiences of nocturnal emissions. I don't. But I, I felt the certain sadness and, and um, also just kind of like a, a frustration about this reality in, from those two people, from you and that other man. And I, I just, I feel like I have many things that are frustrating to me as well. Um, in my bodily workings, <laughs> and I can just be frustrated and experience it and then go on with life. But sometimes I allow it to prompt me in a prayer that is helpful for my growth or for the world. And so I just want to share that with 
especially the guys, that you may not have control and you probably don't have control over this happening, but you can seek to have a response that helps um, you discover more deeply the meaning of your body and your mm. ability to give yourself that can be fruitful for you. So that's what I just want to, as a woman, just speak to my brothers out there who are listening. I want you to know that your body is a gift and that you're made to be a gift and that that's a beautiful thing. Mm. And that when you experience this aspect of your masculine body, I ask you please to thank the Lord for how he made you mm. and that he calls you to trust him, that you can't explain everything um, about your experience and that so that call to trust him and ask him to, in whatever way is appropriate in your life, to orient you more closely to his plan. I don't say that as, as if this experience is a sign you're not in his plan. That's not what I'm saying. But we always want to be drawn closer to yeah. his heart and his gift of self that we want to enter into and in, with our whole lives. So if that can just be an encouragement to you that that it ha can have deep meaning simply in the reflecting on our bodies as gift, our call to be gift, and our need to grow in that. Wendy, I receive that as your husband as a deep consolation, and I'm grateful for you saying that, and I pray that other men listening can hear that from your heart and receive it also as a consolation. Thank you for mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I think what you're saying is it's good to be men. It, that's right. That's what you're saying. Yes. And we need to hear that. <laughs> okay. Especially in our world with all this, you know, men are the problem and the origin of every problem. And it's all toxic masculinity that's at the root of every problem in the world. And just to, to hear a woman's voice console in a tender place like that is, that's beautiful. Thank mm. you. You're welcome. Ready for the next question? Yes, let's do it. This is from an anonymous listener who says, thank you so much for providing a safe space to submit questions about the Catholic faith. I have a question about lust. Could you please explain how one could lust in marriage? I've always understood the scenario of seeing people on the beach and lusting after them. But lust is a hard concept for me to understand in marriage. What is lusting after your spouse? Is Thinking about having sex with my spouse lusting? Is appreciating my spouse's body lusting? Is wanting pleasure in the sexual act lustful? I can say to each of those questions, not necessarily, not necessarily, not necessarily. But it's possible that each of those could be lustful. So obviously... This is the very heart of the question. We need to define the term, what is lust, in order then to talk about what is lust in marriage. But before I do that, let's just rewind and and maybe take a 30,000-foot view here and say, why would one think lust is not possible in marriage? It's It, it kind of, it leads to a, a generic, maybe that's I don't know if that's the right word, but it's the word that comes to mind. A generic understanding of sexual desire, meaning sexual desire is this kind of thing, and it's wrong before marriage, but once you're married, it's okay. 
And in that paradigm, it does. How could how could something be wrong? It's, this is my spouse. If we have a generic understanding of sexual desire, the distinctions get get lost. So lust is a disordered sexual desire. It's an inordinate meaning again another word for disordered inordinate approach to sexual pleasure sexual activity that treats the other merely as a means to an end and the end here would be typically sexual pleasure or even a kind of emotional gratification at the expense of the other now there's nothing wrong with God's design for sexual pleasure and emotional delight that we are called to take in learning to love others as Christ loves, right? This is the commandment that summarizes everything. It's the new commandment Jesus gives us. Love one another as I have loved you. And then he says, I tell you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. One of the great gifts of St. John Paul II's theology of the body is that he proclaims that this call to love, as Christ loves, is chiseled by God right in the sexual difference. A man's body does not make sense by itself. A woman's body does not make sense by itself. Seen in light of each other, unless we're blind, we see that male and female are designed for each other. We are designed to be a gift to one another. We are called to learn how to love one another as God loves. This is not easy for us. It does not come uh, readily uh, to us because we are fallen, right? When Christ was asked about the nature of marriage, he pointed his listeners back to the beginning because something has gone wrong with original sin. We have to go back to the beginning to understand God's original plan for man and woman. Jesus says, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your heart, but from the beginning it was not so. Something has gone wrong. Well, what did they have in the beginning that they lost with original sin? What they had was nakedness without shame. The first result of original sin is they are now ashamed in their nakedness. Why? Nakedness without shame, John Paul II tells us, reveals the original biblical vision of what it means to be human. They were naked without shame because they experienced erotic desire as nothing but the desire to love in the image of mm -hmm. God. Freely, totally, mm -hmm. faithfully, fruitfully, upholding and honoring the dignity of the other as a person made in the image and likeness of God, and not looking at the other or treating the other as a thing for my own pleasure. When shame enters, shame enters the scene because now erotic desire, or the Greek word eros, eros has run out of wine. It's a biblical symbol for divine love. If we're going to use the Greek terms, we can speak of eros and agape. Eros is that human sexual love. Agape is divine sacrificial love. 
the reason they were naked without shame in the beginning is because eros expressed agape sexual desire was nothing other than the desire to love in the image and likeness of god shame enters the scene let's look at it from the perspective of the woman why does the woman cover her body after original sin has happened because she realizes her husband not just any random man but her husband in fact is now looking at her not as a person made in the image of god not with a desire to love her in the image of god he's looking at her naked body as a thing for his own selfish gratification in other words lust has now entered the scene lust is what remains of sexual desire when eros runs out of agape the woman covers her body not because her body is bad she covers her body because it's so good and she feels an instinctive need to protect the goodness and dignity of her body from the degradation what's degradation a degrading right a degradation of her dignity her husband is now looking at her as a thing rather than as a person she doesn't want to be looked at that way she covers her body as if to say don't look at me that way i'm worth more than that this is the world we're born into and we can come to normalize lust uh, in fact when john paul ii in 1980, it was October of 1980 that John Paul II said, a husband can be guilty of adultery in his heart with his own wife. And the ridiculous responses that erupted in the secular media all around the world, uh, headlines like, uh, Pope declares sex sinful even in marriage. Uh, <laughs> what the heck? No, 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 no. This is not what the Pope is saying. Another editorial said, well, if you can't lust after your wife, who can you lust after? Oh. Well, that would be nobody. Because lust is the disordering of sexual desire. It's sexual desire that has run out of this wine, this divine love, right? What the secular press failed to recognize is that there's another way to see. There's another way to think. There's another way to experience sexual desire but only through the miracle of God's grace. And what did Christ do in his very first miracle? He restored the wine to the sexual relationship in super abundance. In other words, he restored agape to eros. And the invitation of the Christian life is to experience the redemption of our entire humanity body and soul, sexuality and all. Marriage is not some license to indulge our disordered desires with one another. Marriage is the invitation to drink deeply of that new wine of God's grace, enabling us to love one another rightly. And of course, you don't have to wait till you get married to drink that wine, that wine is the grace of the Christian life. It's the grace of baptism. It's the grace of the sacrament of confession. It's the grace of the Eucharist, especially. And we are all invited, whatever our state in life, to allow that new wine to come into our hearts, to redirect eros in the original direction, that is, in the direction of learning to uphold and honor the full dignity of the person. 
I was so struck as you shared that by the the very uh, story at the origin of the stories of the fall. They're a married couple. Yeah. And they're covering themselves as a protection from, from each other. From each other. Yeah, from their spouse. Yeah. So that is so deep just to reflect on that. Um and to recognize that that's part of our inheritance. And and yet it's not our whole inheritance because, as you shared, Christ has entered in and he's given us such a, a beautiful personal gift of his beautiful example of loving the other for his or her own sake. Yes, yes. And I just want to say to our anonymous questioner, this question, I'm just going to go back through the question, yeah. is thinking about having sex with my spouse, lusting. It, it, as you said, it depends, it, I think. Right. Or it, it could be. It could be. It, 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 but it, but give us an example of, of like thinking about it in a way yes. that's calling on that wine yes. of so, the Lord. So if a husband and a wife are looking upon each other's nakedness with a holy and beautiful delight in the other mm. that is eliciting in the heart the desire to affirm the goodness of the other, bless the goodness of the other, and renew their very covenant of love in their marital embrace. That's God's beautiful, wonderful plan and intention. And in renewing that beautiful covenant in their embrace, they are meant to, they are invited by God himself to delight with maximum pleasure and joy and fulfillment in becoming a gift. But as John Paul II says, the joy that is experienced in becoming a gift is one thing. The selfish gratification that one can take in treating the other as an object is another thing. And there is, nobody does this perfectly. Wendy, we've been married almost 27 years. Uh, we don't live this perfectly. There's always a call to a deeper purification. Yeah. There's always a call to say, okay, what's going on in my heart? Mm -hmm. um, there's always a need to, to say, Lord, we're, we're, we've, we're out of wine here. We need more wine. We need new wine. No one can ever say, I've arrived. I'm not in need of any purification here. And nor can we just say, well, I'm married. It's okay. This is my spouse. Well, what's the character of the desire? What's the character of the experience? The way we are trained to think in this fallen world would basically turn what happens in the marriage bed into a scene from a porn movie. And this is very detrimental to us. The invitation is to come and become one who sees. What's, what does that mean? It means... There's another way to see the nakedness of the other. There's another way to experience sexual desire. There's another way to experience sexual union than what the world teaches. If all we've been taught is what the world teaches, then we're going to carry that same frame of reference with us into our marriage. And then years down the road, we're going to be wondering why we don't feel loved and honored and appreciated and why we feel kind of cheapened or degraded or 
not interested in sex relations anymore because I don't really feel honored and upheld in my dignity. Uh, these things can go unspoken and just kind of get buried, but they're very, very real. Christ gives us real answers to these real questions and these real problems, but we have to go on a long journey of inner purification, and we have to be willing to confront the places we have run out of wine and not just justify it because, well, I'm married and it's okay because it's my spouse. Where is it coming from in my heart? Mm. It's a beautiful journey. It's a joy to enter into the sacrament of marriage and to experience the graces step by step along the way and to just continually be amazed by how the Lord draws us into a deeper bond with one another through these purifications. It's it's very hopeful, and I hope that it our is, questioner hears is, that. The, the reward that comes from enduring the trials of purification, forgive me for quoting from my musical catalog, but Brian Adams just comes into my head, you can't tell me it's not worth fighting for. Mm. You can't tell me it's not worth dying for. Mm. It is. It is. It is. It makes the cross even sweet. Mm. It makes the pain of those purifications, and it does involve suffering. St. Paul says we have to allow our sinful passions to be crucified with Christ in order to experience this redemption. And we, there are times where you're going to feel the nails getting driven through your hands. There are times where you're going to feel the crown of thorns pressing in. There are times where you're going to feel that lance thrust through your side, and you're bleeding, and it hurts. But the rewards that come, the joy that comes, the freedom that comes, the genuine love that comes, the real affirmation that comes through those trials, through those purifications, can't tell me it's not worth fighting for. You can't tell me it's not worth enduring those painful crucifixions to have that reward. It is. Mm -hmm. It is. Our next question is from Catherine. Hello, Catherine. She says, my question is, if the desire to have a spouse is holy, then what was meant after the fall when God said to Eve, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you? I'm only asking this question because I've been told in the past that longing for a spouse is an effect of original sin. Okay, okay, okay. This is profoundly related to the question we, we just had. It is. Did you set it up this way? No. Because you were no. screening the questions? Nope. Well, you did a darn, darn good job there whether you, whether you tried say. to or not. Because we, it's the very same idea, right? What kind of desire are we talking about? Right. Start off the question again. If the desire to have a spouse is holy. Pause. Is the desire for your spouse holy? Well, what kind of desire are we talking about? The word that Genesis uses after original sin, and this is a problem with the English, mm -hmm. the English translation, because we don't pick up these nuances sometimes in the yeah. translation. But the, the biblical word used denotes a disordered desire. Your desire shall be for your husband. It's a disordering of the original desire. Mm. So we, we have to remember to have what John Paul II calls an adequate anthropology. What does that mean? A vision of what it means to be human. That's anthropology, the study of man. Adequate, what does adequate mean? 
It literally means to equal, ad equate, to equal. To have an adequate anthropology, you have to have a vision of the human being that actually equals what the human being is. Mm-hmm. And we will never have an adequate vision of what a human being is if we don't understand there was an original plan that God established that we all fell from. And the way we experience the world, the way we experience desire, this side of the fall is not as God intended it in the beginning. Sometimes it gets close. Sometimes we have genuine, real human experiences that that are an echo of that beginning. But, but everything in us, to one degree or another, has been muddled, clouded, confused, disoriented, rearranged by the fall. But here's the good news. Evil is the distortion of a good, mm. which means the devil doesn't have his own clay, which means there's nothing in our humanity that needs to be simply thrown away because it's all evil. There's no such thing as something that's all evil, right? Evil itself is the distortion of a good, which means even in what is evil, even in what is distorted, there's a good that has gotten distorted. So it's not so simple to say your desire for a spouse is holy. What kind of desire? Right? We were talking about that in the previous question. It could be a disordered desire. In a general sense, right, at the base of everything, underneath whatever might be twisted up, yes, 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 our longing for a spouse is a good and holy thing. But we have to reckon with the fact that our desires have been twisted up. And that's what's going on in this line from Genesis chapter 3, which is after the fall, when mm-hmm. it says... God says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband, and he will dominate you or rule over you. Both of these verbs, your desire for and rule over or dominate, are what happens in the female heart and the male heart when we run out of wine. This desire for the husband is more a kind of manipulation. Mm. Uh, It's manifested in a woman who you know, in colloquial terms, we would say, she tried to hook him. Mm. She tried to get him, right? And and I'm thinking of our own relationship, Wendy. I'm, I'm remembering when, when uh, you and I were friends for three years in our college years, and you had a, you had a, an interest in me. You were hoping that we could be a couple. Yeah. And your friends were trying to invite you to, to put it this way, to hook me. Yeah. And what just share what you what your reaction to that was? Well, I, I yeah, there were you know opportunities. People would say, "Oh, you should invite him to this dance," or "Did you talk to him? What was it like?" Kind of analyzing, trying to maybe get me to uh, get your attention a little bit more directed toward me to communicate my interest, and it just it just didn't resonate with my heart toward you and um, just my sense of our friendship that, you know, it's in the Lord's hands and I just want our friendship to grow naturally and not to, you know, 
have some technique applied to it to get something out of it, I guess. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna apply these words to that. Okay. Because because you're you're putting it in a in a how shall I say a delicate way or a <laughs> a I'm gonna be less delicate. Okay. Your 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 <laughs> your friends in their own way, not like they were totally misguided. Nobody's ever here totally misguided, but. They, they were encouraging you in a way to use your feminine charms to manipulate me in a way. And you didn't like it because you wanted to honor my freedom. You, you, you knew and you were right to know that, wait, if I hook him, to use that expression, it's not real. It's not based in freedom. I, am I, am I, I absolutely learned that. And I... Um... I saw it in my own heart, apart from conversations with friends, how I could get anxious and think it was somehow up to me to get your attention and, and how that caused a nervousness and sort of a, a mistreatment of our real relationship that I didn't want that, you know. And I am eternally grateful to you. Thank you. That you resisted what is the fallen tendency in a woman's heart? This is exactly what Genesis is saying. Your desire will be, it's a disordered desire. It's a kind of manipulative desire that comes from, from uh, as you said, anxiety, fear, yeah. that, that would lead you to not honor me as a person. Mm -hmm. But you had an instinct in your heart, no, I need to honor him as a person. But it, you had to die to some things in yeah. your own I had to trust the Lord. You had to trust. Boom. That's yeah. the key word. I had to trust the Lord. When we when we fail to trust the Lord and take matters into our own hands, it always leads to a failure to respect the personhood of the other, and it goes the other way too. As a man, uh, you know, the woman. God says to the woman, "You will have a disordered desire for your husband." if we were to translate it properly, a kind of manipulative desire for your husband. And he will also have a disordered desire for you. He will want to dominate you. He will want to control you to gratify his own disordered desires. And I have seen that in my fallen heart over and over and over again. I have needed to die and continually die to disordered desires in my heart that if I follow them will wound you will will not honor you as a person. So we, we have to learn these inner movements of our hearts. And and one way to to phrase it, I learned this, we've learned this together from a priest friend of ours, Father Jim, who says, Are you living speaking to me, Christopher, are you living out of old Adam or new Adam? Or to you, Wendy, are you living out of old Eve or new Eve? Mm -hmm. Am I living from a place in my heart that is just that fallen Adam that wants to be in control, wants to dominate to get what he wants? Or am I living from a place of surrender and trust in the Father's plan, just like the new Adam that leads to an honoring of your person? Uh, that is a question that, that we have to ask ourselves all the time. Men have to ask, am I living from old Adam or new Adam? Women have to ask, am I living from old Eve or new Eve? Eve, The new Eve is, is Mary, Mary, the woman who trusted. Yes. The woman who 
opened, was not manipulative, did not use her feminine charms in any way to manipulate, but used her femininity to open and receive and mm -hmm. trust in the divine gift. That's the difference between love and lust. That's the difference between love and manipulation. That's the difference between serving and dominating. That's the difference between uh, trust and control. And I, I have to look at this every day of my life because I'm a control freak in so many ways. And it comes from this fundamental lie that God is not to be trusted. It's a lie. Hmm. It's a lot. Are we answering the question? We went off on so many different topics. I don't even know. <laughs> we, if we are. We, we are. are. Okay. Yes. And I'll just mention this to Catherine. And I find it so interesting with this particular episode, because what I want to say goes back to the first question Very about Adam's sleep. Okay. Right. Genesis chapter two. Tie it all up in a bow here, Wendy. What is happening is his desire mm. for spouse, the Lord fulfilling that by his surrender. His surre Ooh. Oh. Isn't that cool? Oh, that is cool. So, Catherine, read Genesis <laughs> chapter 2 if you want to know whether God's plan is that we would have this desire for the spouse, and yet exactly that, that there's a surrender to God that is so essential. Go, Wendy. Go, Wendy. Hey. Go, go. Go, Wendy. Okay, once in 200 episodes. <laughs> what? <laughs> Just kidding. All right, no, all right. once in, at least once in every episode of our 201 episodes. And I know the listeners would agree with me on that. But that was a, that was an especially special Go, Wendy moment. Thanks. That was Thanks, good. Olaf. Thanks. Bless you, Catherine. I hope we gave you some food for thought to chew on. Uh, that's the purpose of this podcast. It's not like we can answer these questions exhaustively, but... We hope we do point you in a direction for your own further reflection and prayer. Yes. Uh, everybody out there, thank you so much for listening. If you have been blessed by today's episode, please share it with somebody and keep the questions coming. We love you. We're so happy to be part of this with you. It's a joy to do this. Till next time, may you know it. May you know it from your head to your toes and everywhere in between. You are an unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.